Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible? And we are in 2 Corinthians this morning, continuing our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Finishing up the chapter this morning as we make our way verse by verse through this book. Longing that you're doing that with us. And so again, hopefully you brought a Bible. If not, they're there in front of you. Page number on the screen. You can use an electronic device if you want to follow along in a Bible app that way. But we are inviting you to be in the Word of God with us. That it would be through His Word that God would speak truth and His work into your life this morning. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, we just give you the same encouragement. Follow, be with us in the Word of God, and may He speak to us through that this morning. Let's ask Him for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Hoping you would pray as well. Let's ask for God to speak to us through His Word. Father, right here and now, I want to thank You for Your Word, knowing that it's true, knowing that we need it. But God, asking that you would help us to see it and understand it. It's not going to be so unless you do it, Lord. Unless you open up our comprehension and give us understanding. But how I'm asking this day that you would do that. And in that, Lord, kindly, gently, lovingly, just would you take your truth and not only open our understanding to it, but apply it right where we're needing, something from this morning that you would speak to us, that we will have known that we've been spoken to, something that we needed from you. God, you see us, you know us, help us to be there. Give us ears to hear you, hearts to receive. Lord, work this morning. We're asking for that right now and right here together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. If you were with us last week, that's actually how we ended our message. I mean, we talked about this incredible quote from C.S. Lewis that looks upon this reality, this reminder that we spent our time last week thinking about that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're now a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's an incredible reality that the Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again, that's you. That's the real you. The real you, the eternal you right now is that that Christ has made you new. And that beautiful just work that he's done would be amazing. So C.S. Lewis can challenge us and say, hey, if you could see it, If you could see the folks next to you who are followers of Jesus this morning, it would be astounding. It would be amazing. You would look upon them and go, wow. I mean, God's glory reflecting the righteousness of Christ upon you. I mean, it it would be beautiful. That's true. And it's absolutely wonderful and absolutely glorious. And if you missed that, hey, we did that last week. You can go back and get that message online. But when I gave you this quote last week, I didn't actually finish the sentence. Some of you might have known that if you've ever heard this quote before, and so now I want to finish that sentence. Let's go back and just read it. He says, it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, if at all, only 
and a nightmare. Yeah, wait, those are the realities right now. In this room, it is one way or another. Either you're a follower of Jesus, and whether you know it or not, you've believed upon him, and you have a new nature that is going to shine in eternal glory, or you don't know him. And your sin so corrupts you and so destroys you that if we could see you now with an eternal lens, it would be terrifying. It would be terrifying in judgment. It would be terrifying in eternal reality. And he is calling us this morning to think that through. Yeah, it is that that he gets to in these verses as he helps us now to understand that's exactly what God is working on. He is doing something so that five times in these final verses of this chapter, he is going to talk about reconciliation. He's going to talk about how God is a God of reconciliation and how he is seeking to reconcile to himself those who are in those spaces that are not his. And that's exactly what we want to think about this morning. I'm going to think about these five times that he says this and, and, and to feel the weight of God as a God of reconciliation. Hey, let's just begin with a simple definition. I mean, I think in one sense, probably most of us know. I mean, when we use the word reconcile um, and reconciliation, it might be a term that you even now kind of understand and feel. But it's worth just reminding that what sin has done is sin has separated us from God. Sin, but what it is, and it's very, you know, essential part is it's not, not only is it wrong and not only is it destructive, but it divides. It, it creates so that, so that there's separation, so that there's not that relationship with God, so that there isn't that. But to reconcile then is to do something that would change the state uh, that one is in from enmity to friendship. It's to change that so that that which was separated is now connected. In fact, if we were to use it as just a dictionary definition of a term, we would say the practice of resolving differences or arguments. This pertains especially to the mending of broken social relationships. So that when we think about reconciliation, maybe, maybe right now, that's exactly how you think about it. Uh, we often think about uh, maybe a couple that is going through a hard time in marriage and, and maybe there's separation and we're longing to bring reconciliation. We're longing to reconcile them. And that's exactly how that word, by the way, is used in 1 Corinthians 7, just longing for reconciliation. That there is a good space that that is where there's distance and, and separation that you'd bring reconciliation. Well, that's exactly what we want to think through this morning. That's exactly where we're going to go. And yet in the midst of it, hear this from the very beginning. Hey, it's all God. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely, gloriously all God. In fact, that is how it begins. You got your Bible open there, right? Verse 18, he just begins this whole section with this phrase. Now, all things are of God. All things are of God. This is one of these like amazing little phrases that's just so big that I just want you to feel for a second because it sits as kind of this transition sentence that looks back over what we just talked about. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's God. <laughs> that God is the one that's done that. And he is the God that is now bringing and seeking to bring reconciliation. Hey, let's read through the section we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll work our way through it. Verse 18, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Massive. I mean, I don't know if you could feel that just reading it through. We are in deep water. I mean, incredibly glorious truth that is so profound and so deep. There's just no way that we're even going to come close to getting to the depths of it, but we want to feel it. And in the midst of that, I want to draw your attention as we're thinking through this reality of reconciliation and what God's going to do. He really divides it up into two sections, a section where we're thinking through that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, that he has done that for us, and that he has given us that ministry of reconciliation. Now, it's going to be one of those things that he's just going to work back and forth and bounce back and forth, and we're going to try to follow along as we do that, but I want to just pause again and just say, boy, it's glorious. It's, it's marvelous. Uh, the, these truths are probably beyond every one of us here this morning, certainly beyond me. In fact, if it's okay to be so honest with you, Boy, I find myself just intimidated right now, just thinking, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to share the weight of what's in front of us, how to make you feel it. I, I, I you know, long for some great way to do it. I, I, I just, I've thought all week, how do I do this? And I'm not sure that even the way we're going to approach it this morning is going to be helpful, but we're going to try. We're just going to work our way phrase by phrase, just feeling it, trying to see it, and just believing in the power of the Word of God to work that but because, again, just the, the weight of which I'm feeling, I just thought I'd ask you one more time. Can I take one more moment and just pray that God would help us to understand this? Father, I think about your word. It is always good. But I'm finding myself certainly in this section just profoundly moved at the depth of what you're telling us about, the wonder of it, and how unable I am both to fully comprehend and certainly to make plain. God, would you do above and beyond? Would you take your truth? Because it's your truth. It's your word. As we just feel it, try to step on it, just phrase by phrase through these, these, these verses before us this morning, would you, would you work, Lord? Would you speak to us by your truth? We ask for that again, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he begins it for us there again in verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So we just want to think about this first phrase just for a moment and, and just make sure that you're paying attention to what you just heard and read. Our God has done this. He has reconciled us. And he puts it to us in a powerful way that just is a reminder right now that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not a carrot. This is not something he's holding out to you and saying, hey, if you work just a little bit harder, this too can be yours. No, no, he's telling us. He's already done it. We are. In Christ, in Jesus, we are reconciled. We are that new creature in Christ that we talked about last week. He has done that. If you're reading with us in the, in the Bible, in the daily reading, you read this morning in Hebrews chapter 9, where it simply says it this way, 
But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered into the most holy place once for all, having attained for us eternal redemption. He's done it. It's not a continuing sacrifice. There's no longer a continuing of sacrifice. He said he did it once by one sacrifice forever. He, he, by one sacrifice, he has obtained eternal redemption. He has done that for us so that we're looking at something that we're saying God has done this. He has accomplished this, that God has reconciled us. And it's worth just noting one more time, to him. It's to him that this reconciliation is a reconciliation that draws us into that. Because that's reconciliation, one more time. Reconciliation is relationship. Reconciliation is to take two that were separated and now bring them together. And he has reconciled us to himself. He has done that that has brought us to him, which is the most amazing and glorious thing. In fact, let's just understand again, that's the big deal. That's the big deal today. That's the big deal for all eternity. Jesus in John 17 said it this way. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. So Jesus gives us his definition. I don't know if that's your definition. When I say, hey, this is eternal life, I don't know how you see it. Maybe, maybe you do, but maybe you're like me that sometimes we could say eternal life means forever. Or maybe eternal life means no more pain, sorrow, and suffering, and it's going to mean that for sure. But it's not the main thing. It's not the most glorious thing. It's not the essence of what makes life life, what makes life life, what makes eternal life eternal life that you hopefully have a taste of now, and you certainly will as a follower of Jesus in eternity, knowing him is the best thing of all that that relationship with him is life itself, and he has brought us to that. He has reconciled us to himself, and he did so through Christ. He did so through Jesus Christ. It is through what Christ has done. It is that that is done in him, that we find ourselves in that, that through Christ, he has made this reality ours, if you know Jesus. Incredibly glorious. I mean, incredibly glorious that we could just sit here and just begin to understand this reality that he, that he wants us to feel, that our God is a God of reconciliation. He is a God who has done this, and he has done this for us in Christ. Now hold that, because he's going to kind of bounce back and forward, and so now we want to flip over to the other side uh, of this reality that he's holding out to us in these verses, and in the same verse, he says it to us this way, just reading it for context. Now, all things, verse 18, are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God is a God who's reconciling. That's what he's doing. That's what he does. And yet he has also done this for us in, in Christ. That if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given us this. And it's worth again noting, it's past tense. He's done this. It's a gift. Uh, and that's the idea of given. It's grace, but it's ours. This is something he has given to us 
He's given this responsibility to us, this place for us, that we get to have what he calls this ministry of reconciliation. It's just a good phrase just to let yourself rest on for a moment. Ministry, service, responsibility, privilege. This is what we get to do. We get to be those who are in the ministry of reconciliation. He has given this to us. This now lays as that which is our responsibility. This is that which he has done, you know, for us, that he has drawn us to have this, that he is wanting us to feel that in this incredible place of reconciliation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been reconciled. And now you get to be a part of him reconciling more, that we have the the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're doing. Wow. Well, it's just beginning. So he's kind of laid this out, and he's done this place where in, the, in this verse he kind of says, okay, this is what Christ has done for us. Now here's what we get to do, and now he's going to bounce back to the other side. He's going to take us back to, to, to think a little bit deeper about that first part, and so we'll go back and put that on the screen and just say, okay, now we're looking at this part where he says he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Pick it up in verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them. God was in this doing this. He says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So now we're looking again at this is what he has done, this reconciliation that is now ours in Christ, and he simply wants to tell us that as we think about us, that God is the one who is doing this, that God was in Christ reconciling us. It's so well said. Uh, It's so well articulated. May God just help me again just to say it in a way that just doesn't lose it but also helps. He's not saying something weird here. He's not uh, articulating something that some have kind of said is oneness doctrine or whatever that would say, you know, there's, you know, not really a trinity. There's really just, you know, God is in Christ, but it's not really. No, I mean, the Bible's really clear. Jesus is God, and God the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. The trinity and, 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 the, and the oneness that's in them, which is beyond our comprehension, but it's true. It's not in any way here saying that, that um, that, God, you know, that they're the same in that sense, but he's saying here's the reality, that God was doing this in Christ, that there is a, the deity of Christ found here, but there's this reality of understanding that God has done it. Why do you need to hear that? Well, it's a weird thing. I don't know if it's just our sinful nature. I don't know if it's our world. I don't know if it's just a satanic plan, but somehow some of us have come to believe that God the Father is angry, uh, and, he's, and, and, and he doesn't really want it. And, and so we've kind of got this weird understanding that even if we think about reconciliation, we have this idea of thinking, you know, that Jesus gets between us and God. He's kind of like telling God the Father, like, calm down. Don't wipe him out, you know. Like, I know you, you want to kill him. I know, I know, I know, but please don't do it. Then he's over here telling us, hey, you know, come on, get closer here. And, and we almost picture, like, you know, like Jesus is the one that's, you know, fixing on both sides of the equation. And what he's telling us is, no, that's not the truth. Hey, this is God. This is God the Father that looks upon mankind and in Christ is reconciling. That who God the Father is, is this. That he's the one that is, you know, in God, he longs for uh, that with us. 
And think about it, Jesus was uh, speaking to his disciples, and Philip kind of says, hey, if you could just show us God the Father, that would be sufficient. Like, that would be enough. And you maybe know the story where Jesus just responds, and he says, you know, he who has seen me, you've seen the Father. That Jesus is, is God. I mean, he is, I mean, he is the, that representation. It says, if you want to know who God is, I'm the, you know, he is just like me. I mean, we, that, that what I am, he is, and, and, and what he is, I am. In fact, he goes on, he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he's doing this. I mean, like, that, that there's this beautiful connection in everything that's there. In fact, Jesus would pray it in John 17. He says, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He says, I just want them to understand. Well, you have loved them. You, you so love the world, you sent your only begotten son. I mean, you, you, you're the one who is, is God who is longing for reconciliation. Again, maybe no one's there. Maybe you're not there, but there's just some that kind of find themselves thinking about it this way, and it's just a place where he says, no, no, this is God who is in Christ reconciling us to himself, that he is this reconciling the world to himself. Two things you want to just make sure you catch it in that, and maybe it's already been said, but if you can understand this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, it is a reminder that the problem that is messed up our relationship with God is not God. I mean, when Jesus is reconciling, he's not having to do anything on God's side, it's all on our side. You know, that it's one of those, you know, simple old sayings, you know, that if there's distance between you and God, you know, guess who moved? You know, guess who's the problem? It's not going to be God. It's not going to be Him. And, And there's a reality of that. See, again, that's not the way it works in human relationships. So if you have a marriage that is hit those rocky waters, and and there's kind of distance and separation, and somebody steps in to reconcile them. It's very normal in that kind of place that you would be telling them, hey, there's fault on both sides. Let's just admit it. We're two sinners that are trying to, to do life together, and so reconciliation is both sides kind of recognizing, you know, their, their fault, their failure, and, and stepping towards that. That's true in a human relationship, but when we think about the relationship with God, He's perfect. There's not anything needed to be fixed. There's not anything that, that he did. In fact, he's the one that so loves us. So when reconciliation happens, it's us that are being drawn to him. It's us that are being brought back into this relationship with him, that Jesus is reconciling us to God. And so it says it very clearly. It's not like he's, you know, he's reconciling us between God. No, he's bringing us back, and, and he's the one that draws us into that relationship. So it is that space that he's doing that. In the midst of that, he's also letting us know, hey, that's made available for everybody, right? I mean, you saw the wording of it. He tells us again there in in verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Wanting to make sure we're clear, please understand, this is not a statement of universal salvation. This isn't a place where he's saying, hey, everybody gets to get this. No, that's not this. It's really clear that this only happens in Christ. 
Uh, it only happens by believing in Christ. It only happens by becoming a new creation. But he says it with such force that it reminds us it's available to everybody. It's been well said that if you can look on the, the death of Christ and what Christ has accomplished, it is sufficient for the entire world. But it's only efficient for believers. It's only efficient. It only works for those who, who have believed upon him. It only, it only works for those who are there. But understanding this, it's enough for everybody. Uh, it's enough for everybody. What makes that so powerful is if you're here this morning outside of Christ, it's enough for you. Uh, he, he, he has done this for the world. I mean, he so loves the world that he gave his son so that we would understand right now that, it, it, that there's enough for you. I mean, in, in what he has accomplished, that he would long to bring you to him, that he would long to bring you into that space that it would be right with him to do so. He does this amazing place where he does not impute to us our trespasses, our sin, our failure. Yeah, part of this reconciliation, what it gets to do and deal with is it brings us into that. So again, there in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Again, there's just such weight here. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, like, the way that God says it, it's so theologically profound and accurate and beautiful. And for those who are, are kind of wired that way, you would just like, wow, wow, wow. I mean, it just, but I just want to tell you, it's so good. What does it mean to impute something to somebody? It's an accounting term uh, that, you know, puts it to their, uh, puts the bill to their account. Uh, that would say, hey, this is yours. It, it's bigger than this, but for probably most of us, it would kind of just land a little bit more this way. So let's just imagine uh, that you and I go out to eat together, and we're, we're sitting down having a meal, and uh, then, you know, at the end of the meal, the waitress comes and says, you know, is this going to be on, you know, one check, two, and, and I say, hey, one check, one check. Um, I, impute the entire bill to me. I, I, I'm going to pay the bill. I'm the one that, you know, is going to pay the entire cost of this. That's kind of the idea in small way. To impute somebody says, hey, he's not giving you the bill. He is not giving you the bill for your sin. He is not taking your sin and saying, you're going to have to pay for this. Because if you have to pay for your sin, you're done. Uh, if you have to pay for your sin, you're a sinner, and, and your sin would separate you from God forever. So what he does is he says, I'll take the bill. I'm not going to impute that to you. I'm not going to put that upon you. He says he's going to put that upon Christ, that Christ would pay the, our entire price. He would pay everything that has us separated because sin is what separated us. Sin is that thing that is separated from God. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to impute that to you. That is such good news. If you just believe this, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, if you really believed this, this would be good news. It's a weird thing. You can sit here this morning and hear me and know it and still not believe it. You're like, oh, I know, I know, but oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> like, I'm still, you know, you know, he's so mad at me, and, and, and I know that I'm still going to, you know, I mean, you, you don't really believe that your sin, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more in the words of the song we just sung. Just to believe that. 
I think about it this way. When Paul was preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, he says, you know, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things. For which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Nothing else could do it. The Old Testament couldn't accomplish it. But Christ has. So that everything, everything that was against us, he has paid the price for. In Romans 4, it would say it this way. It says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. That if we didn't earn it, but it's given to us by Christ, it is, it's, it's all by him. Just as David, he said, also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from his works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. Can you feel the exchange for a moment? He says, how blessed is this one that God's going to not have you pay the bill for your sin. That he's not going to put sin to your account. That you don't have, that he's not going to impute to you your sin. Instead, he's going to impute to you his righteousness. That, 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 he, that he's going to give you that which you don't deserve. He's going to put that on your account. He's going to give you that. He's going to give you what is, it was entirely him. I mean, that's this incredible place where he's saying, hey, this is what he has done for us, that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. So we feel that side of it again for a moment. We're we're looking at this incredible reality and wonder of reconciliation, but he's still continuing this place where he's kind of moving between two truths so that we feel both of them. One of them, this incredible reconciliation that he has accomplished. The second part of it, he draws us back again to think through this ministry of reconciliation that he's given us, and so he adds another thought to that side of the equation. Go back and just read it for that context, verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So as we think about this ministry of reconciliation that is ours, it's one more time that he says it with such force that it just, I mean, only he can probably make it land. He has committed this to us. He has committed this to us. That's an assignment. That's a responsibility. That's a responsibility. He says, hey, this is what I have tasked you to do. Not every Christian does well at this, but there are no Christians who this is not assigned to. There's nobody that well, says, it's not really what I do. I, 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 I don't do that. That's not what I'm a part of. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't tell people about that. No, but he has given it to us. It's our assignment. It's our responsibility. It's our ministry. We have the ministry of reconciliation that he has told us that we get to do, but he's very clear about it. We get to share the word of reconciliation, which is so simple, and it's so beautiful and so amazing. We just get to tell people about it. In fact, I love the way he does this in verse 19. So just to see it in verse 19, I just want to put it between these two thoughts again and just put verse 19 in those two places where he's telling us God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. 
He's committed to you and I the word of reconciliation. He does the work. We just get to tell people. We don't actually do the work. He's the one that saves. He's the one that did everything that is accomplishing that. He's the one that's doing that. And the only thing that is asked of us is to tell people. Can I just remind you of this in the most simple way? God has commanded us to share the gospel. He's told us to go into the whole world. He has told us we are his witnesses. And yet for some here this morning, that terrifies you because you think that God just told you to save people. You can't save anybody. He has never asked you to save anybody. He's never told you to do it. He just said, just tell them. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. It's not your work, it's mine. I'm just asking you to tell people. I'm just saying, hey, that's yours. You know, to be in that one that would do it, that we would be what Jesus would say out of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That we would be those who are about this place of making peace, reconciling people who are separated from God, that we get to do that. Think about it in the armor that God talks to us about it in Ephesians 6. It's a fascinating thing that he says that we should have our, you know, shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And without spending a bunch of time on this, if you've ever walked through the armor, you know there are pieces of the armor that you have on all the time, and there are other pieces you take up in the midst of us spiritual warfare. This is an all-the-time one. And the idea is, hey, always remember where you stand. You, you are those who are always to be ready to share the gospel. We have the message. We have the only message of hope in our world. And believing that, knowing who we are, where we stand in this world, not only helps us to do that, but also helps us to be rescued from so many lies that the enemy throws out against us, that we are meant to do that. Now, maybe as I'm saying that, again, for some of you, you're like, I love doing that. I love just getting to tell people about Jesus, just to tell them I'm a follower of Jesus, tell them, hey, they could be a follower of Jesus. I love every time I do that. And, and if that's you this morning, well done. Hey, just be encouraged, do it more. But I also recognize that statistically, I'm talking to some here this morning, you're like, I, I, I don't do that. Like, that's just, no, I don't, I don't tell anybody, you know, about, about that. You know, that's your job, pastor. That's what you do. But I'm just trying to tell you again, no, you, you're supposed to. You know, he has given you this assignment. He has given you this ministry. And I, I want to just take a moment to go back and encourage what we're going to do in a couple weeks. Hey, if you're kind of looking at that thinking, Jim, I'm not very good at that. I don't know how to do that. I'd like some help in it. Well, we would like to give you help. And so not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after, we're going to have an evangelism training seminar. We're just going to say, hey, we want to, you know, talk to you about doing it. And then, I mean, maybe the most helpful thing is we're going to say, let's go do it. <laughs> like, you know, we're not just going to talk about it theoretically. We're going to say, hey, let's just go and, and, and just put it into practice today and, and say, let's just try to say, let's grow in this because this is who we are. We are those who have this. And so he's inviting us to that, that we are that, that God is the one who's doing the work. He is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, but he's committed to us the word. He said, I want you to tell people. I want you to tell them they can be reconciled, that, that they, can, they, can, they can have a relationship with God, that, there's, that Christ is there. That's, that's our word. That's what we get to share, which is an amazing, glorious reality. Well, let's go back to it. So we're walking through this place, and we're, and we're kind of thinking through these truths, and if it's working for anybody, he's kind of just, you know, again, two truths. God reconciled, we get to tell people. 
God reconciled, we have the ministry. And so in, in verse 18, he began with what God did and then told us that we have the ministry. He told us in verse 19 that God did it in Christ, and now he's reminded us we get to share it. And, and now in this final couple of verses, he's going to flip it around which is kind of profound in its own kind of symmetry of thought for anybody that kind of tracks with this. Instead of kind of staying there, he wants to first of all kind of just press us again into this place of what we get to do, and then he's going to end the chapter on what Christ has done. Well, let's look at it there. So that's what he says, and so he goes to it in verse 20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Wow. So again, he's building it. We have the ministry of reconciliation. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, and now he just says, you're an ambassador. You're an ambassador for Jesus. Wow, that's a big thought. Much bigger than we have time to think about. Maybe you'll want to think about it later, but you understand, right? I mean, if we ask you right now, so you know what an ambassador does, right? So if we have an ambassador of the United States that's going to represent the United States to maybe China, uh, maybe Russia, we, we have ambassadors. Those are positions that are appointed. Nobody pickets to pick that. And you've been appointed. <laughs> he just told us that. He gave us that appointment. Those are ones that have authority to speak, and yet when they speak as an ambassador, they are not representing themselves. They're not meant to. They don't really have any power to kind of say, well, you know, here's what I was thinking. You know, I kind of, no, it's like I get to come and say, hey, the president of the United States has said this. This is what, this is the, the, the where, what they, what I get to tell you not my thoughts. I get to be a representative, an authorized representative, an authority that would be there. Hey, that's me. That's you. We're ambassadors for Jesus, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that in this world he has left you if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, this is why you are still here. This is why when we got saved, he didn't immediately take us home. We became new creatures in Christ the moment we believed. Old things passed away, everything became new. But the reason you're still here, it's because I'm going to leave you here, God says, as an ambassador for me. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to do that. In fact, he gives it to us. Not only are we these ambassadors for Christ, it's as if God himself were pleading through us. I mean, that's just powerful. I mean, that's just one of those weighty things to say. It says when we, are, when we really get to recognize who we are, I'm not sitting there, you know, looking at my neighbor or my friends or my work and think, well, I just would really like you to do better than you are. <laughs> you know, you just seem like a mess. And I just thought I'd give you my ideas. Like, no, I'm, I'm talking, but it's as if God himself were talking through me and saying, I, I don't want you to be far away. I don't want you to be far away. I mean, what we get to do is to be this. In fact, he uses such words. He says, we're imploring you on, on, on Christ's behalf. To implore has the idea of begging, it has the idea that someone's getting down on their knees and saying, please, 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 hear me now. Like, hear what I'm saying. Like, I'm begging you to hear me. I am begging you to hear that God wants you to be reconciled. I'm, I'm pleading with you to do that. He says that's what we get to do. There's a passion to this. There's certainly heart to this. But don't miss even the reality. He says, I just want you to be reconciled to God. Our God wants to reconcile, 
and we're inviting you to be reconciled. Hey, if you're here this morning and that's where you are outside of Christ, we're inviting you to it, but please hear the accuracy of the way he says it. Christianity, the gospel, is not something you need to do. He's not saying reconcile with God. He's not saying, hey, you need to reconcile with God. He's saying be reconciled. Become one that he is the one that reconciles. He's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to, to, to allow what he has done on Christ's behalf to bring you into it. And the gospel is, is powerfully well said that it's not what we're doing. It's not how I fix my relationship with God. It's how God has fixed my relationship with him. How God in Christ has done that. And, and that he's inviting us there. Hey, we get to do that. I mean, this is us. I mean, we get, the, we get to be this. And so he's reminding you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation so that we get to have that word of reconciliation, pleading with people, be reconciled with God. But he does this well. So again, the beautiful thought began with what God did, reminded us that we have the ministry continued with what God did, then reminded us what we are, and then just took it a little bit deeper that we're ambassadors. And now as this thought comes to final conclusion, he takes us back, not to us, but to Christ, to, to the great weight of what he's done, so that we would think through all that this is, and we'd say, okay, here's God who's reconciled us to himself. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses. And then in the most profound verse, he says it this way in verse 21, Four. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To make him who knew no sin to be sin is, I mean, in, in words, is more profound than, again, I have any way. I mean, there are theological books that are probably this big that try to unpack those few words, but it's amazing. Let me just give it to you in simple childlike ways, understanding the depth is bigger. Jesus is God, and he's perfect. He never sinned. Never sinned. He knew no sin. He came to live a perfect life here and then on the cross. The one who never sinned, who knew no sin, became sin. He didn't become a sinner. Uh, he never sinned. It, it was never his. And that's a very powerful phrasing in the Greek that just, it, it's not that he ever became a sinner, but he became sin. So that the weight that was ours, became his and became him. That there on the cross, our sin, all of it, was laid on him. And in such a way, and such a, a, a wild uh, understanding, it became something not only that he paid, going back to our silly illustration of paying the bill, it's not like he just said, hey, I'll pay your bill. No, he became our bill. He says, I'm going to take that, and it's not just, it's, it's, it's now my, it's not, it's me. I, that's my responsibility. That's now fully upon me that he who knew no sin became that. 
made that, that he accomplished that. And wow, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know how to say that better. I think how Peter would say it this way, that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. That Peter says the same thing that we saw in Hebrews that you read this morning, by one sacrifice. There's this moment that Jesus on the cross and that singular, glorious, hard to understand moment by one sacrifice forever, once for all, once for sins, the just for the unjust, he has brought us to God. Charles Spurgeon says this way in a sermon on this. He says, Christ was not guilty and could not be made guilty, but he was treated as if he were guilty because he willed to stand in the place of the guilty. Yeah, not only was he treated as a sinner, but he was treated as if he had been sin itself in the abstract. This is an amazing utterance. The sinless one was made to be sin. I just want to tell you, it's bigger. That is bigger than you and I have ever comprehended, but is more glorious. God did everything. Christ did everything. He made it possible that that which separated us from God, he did so that we could become the righteousness of God. I just want to make sure I'm just trying to point out words because the word becoming is amazing. We became it. We, we don't just, you know, it's not like God just looks at us and says, well, you know, if I look at you this way, you know, you know if, I, if I don't really look at you closely, you know, if I kind of keep you at a distance, you know, he says at this moment we become right with God. We become what it said there in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. And it's not us that did it. I mean, we didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't attain this. We didn't achieve this. This is what Christ has done for us, that he's made possible that if you're a follower of Jesus, we become right with God, not by earning it, not by maintaining it. I mean, again, for so many people, they still do Christianity wrong. We talked about it last week as if Christianity were an attempt that I'm earning God's favor, that I'm trying to, you know, somehow right the wrong instead of recognizing in Christ, I have been made right. I am reconciled. I, I, I have an, I'm a new creature in Christ, and now I get to live that out. Now I get to live out but what he has done for me that was accomplished on the cross, that we now become the righteousness of God. We, he became sin, and we become righteousness. Think about it. just a few other verses that say the same thing, if it helps to think about it from other verses that seek to articulate the same realities. Romans 5, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we not be saved by his life? It, we were enemies. I mean, we had, there was no hope of that, and he has reconciled to us, you know, through the death of his son. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received it. We have received the reconciliation. It's ours. We have been reconciled because of Christ. We have been those who now are brought into relationship with God. For it pleased the Father, it tells us in Colossians, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace 
through the blood of the cross, that Christ is the one that's bringing all of that into reconciliation. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Like that is ours. That is gloriously ours that we have this, that he's done this for us. You find yourself thinking about it, trying to maybe wrap your mind around it like I do. It's bigger, but here's what I want to tell you. It's all him. He has done this incredible thing. It's all God. He has done the reconciliation, and now he's just called us to be a part of it. But even that's actually him. Uh, He's appointed us. He's called us. He's given us that, that we now have the ministry of reconciliation. That's amazing. That's amazing. But think about it this way. We began with that quote from C.S. Lewis that simply said it this way. It's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most interesting pers- uninteresting person you talk to may be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And that's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been reconciled. You are made the righteousness of God in Christ. You are in Christ that. And if we could see it right now, we would just draw droppingly say, wow, wow, you, the righteousness of God, is you, I mean, that is glorious, that's amazing. But the sad reality, if you don't know Jesus, then you're such a whore and corruption that now if we would meet you at all, if we could see where you really are, it would be worse than a nightmare. And I just want to tell you that's true, but it's not where it has to stay. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And his desire is to reconcile, to say, hey, if you are there and you are far from God and, and your brokenness is there, that then I just get the privilege not of saving you, but of telling you you can be saved, telling you that Jesus died for you. And if you would believe upon him, your sin, not in part, but the whole would be laid. And, and, and that is my joy to tell you this morning, if you don't know him, inviting you into that, telling you that's possible. So we think about all that this is, and we begin to wind this down this morning. I don't know where it lands. Maybe, again, today, God is seeking to reconcile you. Maybe you're far, and you just have not believed it possible. And I just get to tell you, it is possible. God gave his son for you. And we just plead with you to get saved, get reconciled with him today. That said, most of you in this room, you are reconciled. And yet, Somehow, even though that's true, these two incredible realities sometimes feel obscured from your life. Sometimes you don't want to believe it. You don't really believe that he has already done everything for you. You don't really believe that you are reconciled. You live your life as if somehow that at any moment God's going to hold, you know, your failures over you and and punish you. You live your life as if somehow that maybe you, you can't have that and you are so wrong. In Christ, he has done everything by one sacrifice forever. And, and if you just believed that, I mean, if you just recognize what Christ has done for you, it would radically transform things. But if you also believe that, then be reminded why you're still here. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. He has appointed you. He has placed that responsibility upon us that we get to give the word of reconciliation. Pleading with people 
as if God himself were pleading with through us. Hey, be reconciled to God. That's what he wants to happen through you. Does that look like something you are? I mean, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's exactly. I mean, I'm, I, I, I do that. I just, you should give your life to Jesus. Like, please give your life to Jesus. I mean, just, I mean, I, or, you know, I mean is, there, or is there no space to that? Then I just want to encourage you, because that's what we are. If you're, not, if, if you're not walking in what you are, you're not being what you already are, but you are. And he's just inviting you to that. So why don't you close your Bibles, notebooks, wherever that is, and I just want to invite you in those spaces. Respond to him, whatever he has spoken to you, whatever he is speaking to you. Would you take a quiet moment? Before we close in worship, before we leave, before your brain slips into some other gear, before you begin to think about what you're going to do after this or lunch, pause just for a moment and just, what is it? What do you need to do with this morning? What, what is it that God himself has taken out of this truth and is applying to you? Between you and him, would you talk to him about it? I'll do the same. And we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, it is all you. All things are of you. You're the one who has reconciled us to yourself, Jesus Christ, and you have given us that ministry of reconciliation. God, I walk around these things and you know I feel at times like I am such a child. Walking around these things like a child trying to still work out his times tables and, and trying to still kind of get those things right, and yet I'm holding things that both are that, but grow into advanced mathematics and beyond calculus kind of deals. And, and Lord, I, th- I look on these truths and say, these are those. They are deeper, more wonderful, more profound than I've ever even begun to understand, but I'm amazed by them. I'm amazed by you. Lord, that you would reconcile us to yourself in Christ. What a glorious God you are. Lord, I pray for those of us who are that, 
who you've made right with you in Christ, that you'd help us to know that. But also help us to do what you've called us to do, just to be those who have the ministry of reconciliation, who get to give the word of reconciliation, who get to be these ambassadors for Christ as if you were pleading through us, pleading with people to be reconciled. Lord, do that some more. And so we pray for that even right now. You see those right here, maybe in this room, in the overflow online. And if we could see who they really are right now, not, not knowing you, it would be so horrible. Their sin, so destructive. It's destroying them. Their destiny, so scary, so eternally destroyed. God, we long that you'd rescue them. We, we plead right now that they would be reconciled to you that you draw them to believe and, and to find hope and help and life in you. We ask for that, believing that you are that God of reconciliation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're here. If you have questions, you can come up and ask, especially if you're one that God is reconciling to himself. We're here. We'd love to talk to you about that. But right now we think about that reality of it all being of God and we want to worship him in that. So would you stand? Let's spend some moments just thanking our God in worship, honoring him in this. And I just bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.